Hello friends, Tom here. From wherever you're tuning in, I wanna welcome you. Uh, it is a delight and a privilege to be able to open the scriptures with you today. Um, <clears throat> uh, before I jump in uh, to our series, Jesus is, I, I wanna give you a bit of an update. Uh, we are waiting to hear back um, on a specific Sunday morning gathering site. And I wanna ask you to pray. Um, <clears throat> pray that God would, would provide, pray that we'd get clarity, pray that we would get answers uh, soon, preferably this week. Uh, the staff is working really hard trying to secure something for us. It's been almost a year that we have not been able to gather together um, to praise and worship Jesus and open the scriptures together as a church family on Sundays. It's been over, almost a year. So we are, we are working hard, but I want to put that in front of you. We're waiting to hear back from one source. Please, please pray. Okay, continue to pray. Uh, we are jumping here into, uh, I believe it's week 54 in our series going through the Gospel of John that we're entitled Jesus Is. <clears throat> and we are actually kind of in a mini series within the series going through the Gospel of John. Uh, and this mini series is all about John chapter 17. John chapter 17, the, the, what's known as the high priestly prayer. It's the, it's the in my opinion, most glorious of Jesus's prayers that are, are recorded in the scriptures. There's, there's several, but this is the longest, and I would argue the most beautiful, the most glorious. All of John chapter 17 is Jesus praying. We've broken up um, this, this, this entire chapter, this, um, this prayer of Jesus is into three parts, really. Um, so it's kind of, like I said, a, a mini series within our series in John. <clears throat> and last week, if you uh, tuned in, we talked about uh, the first part of that prayer which was Jesus's prayer for himself. Today, we're going to do the second part, part two. Jesus is the praying high priest, part two, where Jesus, uh, where he prays for the disciples that are with him. And then next week, we're going to wrap up this little mini series on John chapter 17, uh, where Jesus remarkably prays for restored Temecula. He prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for the church. So I want to encourage you, join us next week. Um, but here's one thing that I want you to know. Um, we could spend so much more time on John 17 than just three weeks. Uh, this is such an incredible passage of scripture, uh, partially uh, because it tells us so much about Jesus. Um, and that's why we're doing this series, Jesus Is. We've been doing it for over 50 weeks, and we'll do it until we get through this entire gospel according to John. But it tells us so much about Jesus. And that's what we're giving ourselves to, learning as much as we can about Jesus. So with that being said, I hope that your heart and your mind is in a place where you are desiring to learn more about Jesus and encounter him through God's word. So before we jump into God's word, I'm going to pray. Wherever you're tuning in, will you join me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness and your activity in our life. Thank you that you're not <clears throat> just kind of sitting back watching things unfold passively, but you are in a, in a most beautifully fatherly way caring for your children, providing for your children, blessing and protecting and loving your children. So would you teach us, Holy Spirit, more about the love that you have for us, God? Would you help me to bless and to serve and not get in the way with what I say today, okay? I really need you. I really want you to bless us as a church. 
and, and the precious people tuning into this, Lord. So we need you, we love you, and we ask for your blessing on this time. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> what I'm going to do, there's a handful of verses today, the second part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, I'm, I kind of, I'm going to break it up into two parts because it really, it's kind of the, the structure of the passage here. I'm going to break it up into two parts. Verses six through eight, Jesus is going to give a report of what's taken place. Okay, so six through eight is the report. Nine through 19, Jesus makes some requests. Okay, so we're going to talk first about the report and then we're going to dive into the bulk of our time, which is Jesus's requests. Okay, so John chapter 17 Verses 6 through 8. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible. The words will be up on the screen for you. Jesus praying in the middle of his prayer says this. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Okay, Jesus praying to God the Father. Beautiful words. We're going to pause there for just a moment. Talk about what Jesus is reporting here, okay? In verse 6, he says that he revealed your name to the people you gave me. He's talking to the Father, right? He revealed, Jesus said he revealed your name to the people you gave me. Now, when it says revealed your name, Um, you've heard us talk about this before, but when the scriptures refer to the name or someone's name, it's not just what you call someone. Okay. It's, it's more than that. It's much more than that. When the, when the scriptures refer to the name and maybe, maybe you've heard like, even in like in Christian music or, you know, like we praise your name or Jesus is the name above all names, or you have a glorious name. Like, we're not just talking about what you would call him, okay? In the scriptures, a, a, a name means more than that. What it means is it means, like, everything that's true about a person. Like, an all-encompassing uh, descriptor of a person, right? It's, it's their essence. It's, it, 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 it describes their whole being. Not just what you would call them as if they were across the room, Okay? A name is more than what you call a person. It's their essence. And Jesus, in his prayer, he's saying that that Jesus reveals God the Father's name, his essence, the fullness of who he is. He reveals to the people around him what God is like in completeness, his name. Okay, but how? How does he reveal God the Father? He says that through his words that the Father has given him to deliver. so, so God the Father has given Jesus' words, a, a message to deliver, and it's through delivering that message that he reveals to the people around him God's name, what he's like. Hopefully you're tracking with me. Now, <clears throat> have you ever got one of those, like, scam emails? You know, where some, like, Nigerian princess puts you in her will, or you've, you've you know, miraculously won a million dollars from a game show that you've, you know, you never even watched or knew existed. Like, you ever got one of these, these sketchy, you know, scam emails? Now, if, if you have, which most people have, they're, they're scams. Uh, when you get this email, you can, what are you going to do with it? You can, you know, delete it from your inbox, you can reject it, or you can keep it and click the link. You have some choices there, right? You, you receive the message and you either, with any message, you either reject it 
or you keep it and you act on it, okay? Jesus says, I have given them, his disciples, the disciples he's, that, that are with him, that's who he's praying for. I have given them the words that you gave me and they have kept your word, he says. Jesus gave them a message from God the Father and they kept it. Okay, not only did it stay in their inbox, but they acted on it. Now, the Greek word there for where it says kept, they kept the word, um, it's more than just possessing, although it, it involves that. It, it's this idea of like co continuously obeying even. So it's a continually obeying connotation here. Not perfectly, but continuously. There's a difference between perfection and ongoingness, right? That, they're, they're two different things. So Jesus gives his disciples a message directly from God the Father, personalized for them, and they kept it. Continuously took it in, submitted to it, obeyed, obeyed it, right? What's the message? If you, anybody reading this would be like, what, I, I, cool, what's the message, right? The message is the gospel. The message is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. That, 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 that sitting under the rule and the reign of King Jesus is the best thing you could possibly do as a human being. That God's not, he's not holding out on you when he gives direction or instruction or command. No, no, he's giving, he's giving instruction on how to flourish as a human race, as an individual and collectively. Jesus says that it's good news that God is king in your life, individually and corporately. And he says that when a person trusts that, that they have this intimate relationship with God, that they can know God as Father, not based on their performance in life, but rather based on God's saving work through His Son, Jesus the Messiah, who offers grace and forgiveness of sin, the ways that we reject God. It's this incredible news. It's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Jesus' message is from God the Father, that despite sin and its ramifications, God loves you. It's the best news ever. That's the message. So, hear me say this. A disciple, again, who's Jesus praying for here? He's praying for the disciples that are with him. So a disciple is someone who what? Who keeps Jesus' message Someone who trusts that it's true and then, and then lives accordingly. My friend, I need to ask you, wherever you are, does how you live your life, does it reveal that you are a disciple of Jesus? Like if, if a hidden camera followed you around, let's just say for 30 days, for a month, hidden camera followed you around 24 hours a day, seven days a week for one month. If somebody sat down to watch that footage, what conclusion would they come to? Would they conclude, yeah, this, this person's a disciple of Jesus? Or would they come to a different conclusion? Jesus says that a disciple is someone who keeps his message, who continues to obey it, who continues to receive it, to embrace it, and then lives accordingly. 
Have you received his message and kept it? Or has it just been sitting in your inbox? Or worse yet, have you deleted it? How will you know? You'll know by examining the life that you live. Disciples are known by the fruit of their life. Let's keep reading. Okay, let's, let's jump here into this next part of the scripture. Here come Jesus' requests in his prayer, okay? He just gave a report. Here come the requests. Uh, in verse 9, I pray for them. Okay, again, them is the disciples with him. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. He's praying to God the Father still. Verse 10, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Really quickly, when he's referring to the son of destruction, he's referring to Judas Iscariot, one of the original twelve who betrayed Jesus, sold him out, and ultimately that led to Jesus' crucifixion. But even in something as devastating as being betrayed, Judas was fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling the scriptures, God's ultimate plan for redemption. Let's keep going. Again, this continual prayer, Jesus says in verse 13, now I am coming to you, again to the Father. I speak these things in the world so that they, the disciples, may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to touch base on the three things here that Jesus requests in his prayer to God the Father for the disciples with him. Okay, I don't know if you caught what they are. There's three things that Jesus asks for here. He asks for the disciples' protection. He asks for their joy to be completed. And he asks for their sanctification. Okay, their protection, their joy to be completed, and their sanctification. Let's talk about his prayer for their protection. Okay, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus says, I'm not praying for them, the disciples, to be taken out of the world, but to be protected from the evil one, Satan, while they're in it. Okay, and he also says that he sends his disciples into the world just like he was sent into the world. Okay, listen to me. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, it's because these disciples, these men and these women, real people, okay, 
They were sent into the world with the same message that they received from Jesus, right? God's message. And generations later, like thousands of years later, about 2,000 to be exact, it made its way to you. Think about that. A couple weeks ago, uh, there was the Super Bowl. Um, weird, you know, COVID, so the stadium was, it looked like it was full, but I guess it wasn't. Um, <clears throat> if you watched the Super Bowl, you know how it ended. Uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And what was remarkable about this Super Bowl is that Tom Brady at age 43, which in the NFL, that's, that's, that's up there, okay? Uh, to be, you know, put on pads and play football professionally as a 43-year-old is impressive. Uh, so he, he, he leads his team to victory. And what's equally impressive that he won a Super Bowl at 43 is that that was his seventh Super Bowl victory. Okay? Tom Brady has more Super Bowl wins, so more championships, than any franchise in the NFL, let alone any other players. Okay? All these debates on you know who's who's the greatest of all time. Tom Brady is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. Okay, seven Super Bowls, winning his seventh at age 43. And I you know you, you hear all the different news stories of how impressive it is and the reporting and like oh my gosh Tom Brady Tom Brady whatever like wh- how impressive you know what an impact this guy's had. Do you know who the most accomplished athlete from 500 years ago was? Yeah, neither do I. And listen, like, I don't want to diminish Tom Brady and his accomplishments. They really are impressive. But really quick, I want to ask you, what kind of an impact do you want to make on the world? Can you think of a better use of your time and energy than to share God's message with the people around you? Listen, success in in, in sports, success in business, success in any area of life is wonderful. It's great. Like, it's important. It's not a bad thing. It's great. But listen to me. Sharing God's message with the people around you, it has the power to to leave an impact that lasts forever. Not just like 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years, but hear me, eternally, an eternal impact. So it makes a whole lot of sense that given the power of God's message, that Jesus would send his disciples into the world with that message and to pray for their protection while they're in it. Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. But how? Practically. I don't know if you caught it. Verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, listen, so that they may be one as we are one. Okay, Jesus is, is he's talking about unity, oneness here, right? And according to Jesus, protection from the evil one, protection from Satan, it involves oneness with other disciples. 
Hear me say this, friends. Without other disciples, you are in danger. I have so missed being together on Sunday mornings. Sunday worship gatherings are vital to the life of any healthy church. Okay, They are one of the few strategies that we have as a church to continually grow and strengthen as disciples of Jesus. Okay, They're really, really important. That's why the staff is working diligently on trying to secure a space for us. But as important as they are, as important as Sunday worship gatherings are, what's more important in the life of a disciple of Jesus is being united with other disciples. Like, deeply knowing other brothers and sisters in Christ and practically loving them, deeply being known and being loved by other brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? Jesus uses the word, he, he likens it to the connection, the unity that he has with the Trinity, that he has with God the Father and God the, the Spirit, that the, that the people of God would be as connected as the Trinity is. This past Wednesday, man, I, me and Ebony, like we were just weary. This has been a remarkably challenging season pastorally for us. It has been hard. It has been difficult. Don't get me wrong. There's been some incredible things. There's been amazing things. God is never on the sidelines, okay? But this season for us specifically has been really challenging and really hard and painful. And, and Wednesday, we were weary. We were weary, okay? Pastoring's difficult. And some incredible friends, some amazing brothers and sisters in our church family, they dropped everything. And they spent the evening, the entire evening, ministering to us, serving us, praying over us, blessing us, and you know what's crazy about it? As, as amazing as it was, what's crazy about it is that the week wasn't even halfway over yet at that point, and it wasn't even the first time we'd seen them that week. Listen to me. If you don't spend regular, scheduled, and even spontaneous time with brothers and sisters in Christ, you, my friend, are in danger. You are in danger. Can I talk to restored Temecula for just a second? Okay, those that, that you know, you're a member of our church and, and you would say, these are the people I follow Jesus with and these are the pastors um, that I follow Jesus with. Restored Temecula. If you skip out, if you miss out on Lord's Supper meetings midweek with your gospel community, for whatever reason, whether it's, 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 it's COVID risks or it's you're tired or you're having a really tough day or what, I mean, anything, right? Hear me say this, you are in danger. You are in danger. Friends, the, the, the evil one, Satan, he's real. And he wants to destroy your life. He wants to make a mockery of your relationship with Jesus. He wants to hurt you. And Jesus, he prays for protection for the disciple through unity, through being united. And, and, and listen, if you have COVID concerns, I completely understand. Okay, hear me. That's vital. Like that's, that, that, that's uh, not vital, it's valid. Like you having COVID concerns is, is a valid thing, okay? But hear me, 
Don't allow that to stop you from being united with other disciples. Okay, we have technology, man, like FaceTime call in or Zoom call in or, or sit outside with a mask. Do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you need to do. Connecting virtually with your gospel community throughout the week or, or with your pastors on Sunday mornings is not ideal. Okay, it is absolutely not ideal, but it is certainly less dangerous than nothing. So my friend, please do not allow COVID or any other factor to determine whether you live as a disciple to Jesus. Again, real talk. I say this in love, okay? Real talk, restored Temecula. When you don't engage with your gospel community, when you miss Lord's Supper meetings, what you're saying is you don't need the body. When when you don't tune in to the messages on Sundays, what you're saying is that you don't need pastoring. And Jesus would say that is incredibly dangerous. I mean, for, for many reasons, but mainly because you think you know what you need more than Jesus does. And pride always comes before the fall. So listen, I want to be clear. This is not a guilt trip. This is not to like manipulate you to, to engage with your gospel community more or, or, or to get the, the view count of the sermons to go higher. Like, it's not that. It's a warning. With love, with pastoral love, in light of what Jesus himself prays for. Like, Jesus thought that it was important enough to pray for in the final hours of his life. So friends, let's be people who recognize when we aren't living Jesus' way in any area and then make corrections, okay? It's called repentance. God has given us his blood, his grace, and that empowers us that when we recognize that we need to make corrections in our life and we need to turn from sin or turn towards Jesus in specific ways, that we have the freedom to do that because his grace covers us and then motivates us. And let us be people who love each other enough, our brothers and sisters enough, that when we recognize that they're in danger, that they're in isolation, that they didn't show up for the Lord's Supper this week, or or they aren't hearing from their pastors on Sundays, that we pray for them. We pray for their protection, and then we lovingly warn them of the danger, and then encourage, encourage them to live united the way that Jesus created us to, and the way that he calls us to as disciples. Jesus prays for protection through being united. The second thing that Jesus prays for here is he prays for his disciples' joy to be completed. Now, first off, before we break this down, like Jesus wants his disciples to experience joy. Think about that. Like, if you're a disciple, he desires your joy. That's awesome. The God of the universe desires your joy, and he desires that it would be completed, he says. Okay, so really quickly, I want you to engage your heart for just a second. Think of the things that bring you joy. What are they? Like, actually think about it right now. What are the things that bring you joy? Maybe it's a friend. 
Maybe it's a spouse or a child. Maybe it's some form of success in your life. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe, I don't know, Disneyland, whatever. Like, think of the things that bring you joy. These things, they certainly can bring you joy. And that's wonderful. Everything I just read off there. Like, those things can bring you joy. And that's awesome. It's great. But it's an incomplete joy. It's not enough. These things are good things. They're just inadequate at completing your joy. Why? Because they can be taken away from you. D.A. Carson, uh, Bible scholar, regarding this passage says this, quote, This passage presupposes that human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, which basically just means uh, ephemeral, which means temporary, okay? So at best, joy in a fallen world will be temporary or, or shallow, he says, and incomplete until, he says, one experiences God's love in Jesus, the love for which we were created. My friend, do you feel like you are complete? Or do you feel like you are lacking? Hear me, there's only one thing that can complete your joy, and that is receiving God's love for you. That's Jesus' message. It was given to him by the Father. That God's that God has like the deepest, most intense, most unshakable love for you. And what's so remarkable about that love is that it's not a deserved love. Like, you know the difference between something that's undeserved or, like, you know the difference between being undeserved or or being unworthy? Like, they're different. We have not, we, we, we have not and cannot earn God's love and affection through our behavior. If anything, we've secured his wrath We've rejected him and his ways. Not just once, but a million times. We've hurt the people that he loves. Other people in our lives. We've sinned against him and sinned against others. We are undeserved, deserved of his blessing, of his love. But you know what's crazy about God's message? Is that despite our sin, despite the brokenness, He says, you are worthy of his love. And what I mean by that is God is the highest authority. And he says, not just with his words and his message, but with his actions, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ministry, that you are worth it. He determines that you're worth it, that you are worthy of his life perfectly in your place, of his death sacrificially in your place, of his body and his blood. Jesus' message, it's the only thing that can complete someone's joy, that you are fully loved. Jesus says you're worthy of God's love, you're worth it. That's his message. And these original disciples, right, to them and through them,
to the world. And here's the thing. That can never be taken away from you. Because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. And in his sovereign wisdom and grace, he has set his affection on you. And it's unwavering. Immovable. It can never be taken from you and it has the power to complete your joy. Think about it. Verse 13 says, I speak these things, God's message, right? The gospel. In the world, so that they, the disciples, may have my joy completed in them. Jesus prays for his disciples for their joy to be completed. And finally, the third thing, I'll wrap up with this. The third thing that Jesus prays for his disciples here is their sanctification. Big theological word, sanctification. Basically what it is, it's the process of becoming holy. Okay, so in other words, becoming like Jesus. More like him. Thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, like uh, behaving like him. I mean, everything, acting like him. Being more like Jesus in every way. That's what sanctification is. And I think that in the church, this idea of sanctification is kind of misunderstood. Like, it, like it's about you following the rules more or something. But I'd like to propose something to you. I'd like to propose that sanctification is actually the process of completing your joy. Of completing your joy. Why? Because in verse 17, we just read it, Jesus says that sanctification happens through the process of receiving the truth of God's message. So in other words, God's message, right? Father to Jesus, to the disciples and to the world, God's message, is his gospel of undeserved grace and love for sinners, when that is received by them, it completes a person's joy. And the result is a life that resembles the holiness of Jesus. And that's what sanctification means. Receiving God's message. It's like, it's like a cocoon. It's like a cocoon is to a caterpillar. There's consequences. And they're beautiful. So... Do you see how remarkable Jesus' prayer is here? Jesus is the praying high priest, part two. Okay, Jesus is the praying high priest who prays for his disciples' protection from living an isolated life apart from his body. Jesus is the praying high priest who prays for his disciples' sanctification, that they would trust in his message more and more each day, and as a result, their joy would increase to the point of completion. Like, imagine that. Imagine what fullness of joy, like completed joy. Imagine what that feels like. That's what's in store for the disciple of Jesus. And it's guaranteed. Jesus himself prayed for it. So, my friend, are you living as a disciple? Or are you living in danger? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace. I feel led to pray in this moment now for people watching this that have noticed they've kind of drifted from the way of Jesus. When they assess their life, it, it doesn't really look like the way they want it to or really even the way that you want it to. They know at a deeper soul level that you've created them for more. More love and more power. I pray for them right now in this moment that they would receive anew your glorious message, that your grace and your forgiveness is available to them always. It's not just your message to them, it's your message to the world. And it's not just your message, it's what can motivate them to receive it anew and to turn from that which will destroy them. I also feel like in this moment, you're highlighting specific people in our lives that you want us to bring this glorious message to. I pray for boldness and courage for people tuning into this to simply just share their experience of your love and how it has personally impacted them. And that not only has it impacted them, but it's available to their loved one. So Jesus, let your message, the beautiful, glorious message of your gospel, let it permeate every part of our being. Let it, let it, let it result in our sanctification and our completed joy. And as long as we have the privilege of being on this earth, let us be ambassadors. Let us be true disciples who experience your protection in this place now and who also get to the privilege of experiencing you renewing all things through your word, through the truth, through your message, through the gospel of Jesus, the good news. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. Friends, I miss you dearly. The band's going to kind of lead us into a time of response, praising him, worshiping him. Grace and peace to you. Enjoy him.